You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we have ripped through, believe it or not, 40 prospects. We are going to go through the next 10, getting us to 50 prospects in the bag. We are, uh, what, well, five more days away from the top 100. We're going to cover a lot of ground here, assuming we can keep this going. Today on the docket, Jack Campbell, Hendon Hooker, uh, Felix Anudike Uzoma, Aditomiwa Odobiware, Trenton Simpson, John Michael Schmitz, Luke Musgrave, BJ Ojolari, Steve Avila, and Keon White. No, I don't know how to say their names, and I probably still won't after this because I generally watch all 22 and there's no sound or volume, so I can't hear what they're saying. But I could turn on some highlights and try to see if I could figure that out. As these things tend to take a while, let's get started quickly. I'll say this about Jack Campbell, and it's possible PFF has the wrong photo because that's happened occasionally, and it's funny. This guy looks like a 40-year-old man. I clicked on Jack Campbell, and I'm like, oh, this guy must be from like 10 years ago. He looks like he would be Matt LaFleur's older brother. (laughs) This guy apparently is 22.6 years old. That's a lie. If I met him in person, I would assume he was like 39. I have never seen... Occasionally you see a guy that looks like a grown man. This guy looks like he is like a CEO for a big company or something. Or at least some kind of salesman. I don't know. That's crazy. Anyways, Jack Campbell is a linebacker for the Iowa Hawkeyes. He is six foot four and a half, two 249 pounds. Let's call him 6'5", 250, huh? Out of Cedar Falls, Iowa, again, 22.6 years old, oldest of three boys. I think he was 20 when he was born. 465, 40, 37 and a half vert, 10, 8 broad, 424 short shuttle, 6743 cone. For those of you that uh, care about those little metrics there, that was all at the combine. Didn't do anything at the pro day. I suppose, why would you? Uh, he played Mike Linebacker in Phil Parker's 4-3 base. Overall, Campbell is inconsistent as a thumper, but his athleticism and tangibles and instincts will keep him in the NFL for a long time. He has the talent to compete for starting reps as an NFL rookie. Second round grade, number 52 overall. He has him as the number three linebacker here. Obviously not in a very strong class, but um, kind of interesting as far as his grades are concerned. He played 41 snaps, got a 58 grade, so didn't play very much. Then 141, so a little bit. He had an 83 grade. Then he became a starter in 2021, 972 snaps, and a 69 grade. So very low considering. Then this year, 91.9. So mega elite. So I don't know how you go from 83 down to 70 up to 92, but um, he's been pretty consistent. His run defense was 73-70, and that jumped up to an 87. Tackling has always been consistent, 82, 85, 81. The pass rush, there's a lot of inconsistency. 
82-58-65, and then coverage 79-70, and then 93. So basically, if we just compare the last two years, his run defense went from a 70 to an 87, his coverage went from a 70 to a 93, his pass rush went from a 58 to a 65, which would explain the jump. As far as consistency, I would say fairly consistent. His lowest graded game is a 63. He really only had three games in the 60s. There was another one in, in against Kentucky, but it was 69.5. We can call that a 70. Almost all the rest are 70s, and then he had an 87 against South Dakota State, an 88 against Minnesota, and his number one game was actually against Ohio State, a 91.5, which is a really good, uh, really good sign when it's not just you know bad teams that you're doing well against. So I'm actually interested. I wonder if we have that Ohio State game. Boom, got it. But as far as my thoughts, and I'm, I'm sure I'm being swayed by the fact that I watched his uh, you know game in which he had a 91.5 grade, but. Um, I'm very comfortable saying he's my top linebacker so far. I mean, it's a weak linebacker class, obviously, but um, I think the the biggest thing that I like about him is he's clearly the leader of the defense. Very intelligent. I mean, he's telling guys where to go. There's guys running across the formation. He's yelling to the other linebackers, hey, he's coming, he's coming. He's very precise in where he's supposed to be, where everybody is supposed to be. And so there's this there's sort of, you can see these kind of two sides of him working. On one hand, he is a pit bull that wants to go and attack. On the other hand, he's very precise in being where he needs to be. It almost has sort of this Ray Lewis vibe to it. I'm certainly not calling him Ray Lewis. He's not as fast, as strong, and all that stuff. But it just, it has that feeling, like very, like, this sort of wild, rabid dog that's also deliberate. So, I'm a fan. I like Jack Campbell. Next up, Mr. Hendon Hooker. Mr. Hendon Hooker, uh... Quarterback for Tennessee, 6'3", 217 pounds out of Greensboro, North Carolina, 25.2 years old, middle child of three. I don't know why I'm obsessed with uh, the family situation, but I think it's funny. Uh, Apparently, he's sort of like a Tiger Woods type of situation where he was sort of groomed into being a quarterback since he was a very small child. His first words were ball, idolized Randall Cunningham, born into a football family, and they've just been kind of pushing this on him since basically he was a baby. Looks like uh, no workouts really at the Combine or Pro Day. Overall says, Hooker must refine his internal clock and progression reads, but his instinctive athleticism, football character, and poised decision-making amid chaos are appealing traits. He projects as a developmental passer with down-the-road starting potential as long as as his knee is healthy. Second round, pick uh, 49 overall. I will say it's not great to have a 25-year-old with knee issues that is a project. Are we talking about a guy that starts when he's 27? I mean, I know that still potentially could be 10 years, although he's an athletic quarterback. So if we're worried about athleticism being a big part of his potential, then we've got three years with him? I don't know. It's it's not a great situation from that standpoint. As far as PFF, uh, four years in college, two years at Virginia Tech, two at Tennessee. Virginia Tech, he played not quite as much, but 74, 81, then in Tennessee, 84 and 90, so just a general gradual progression upward, passing grades 76, 71, 78, and 85. Rushing grades 63, 77, 76, and 83.7 this past year. Uh, Very, very consistent. It looks like only two games in the 60s. One of them is a very high 60s, so, I mean, it's almost, okay, almost every game is uh, 80s, really. His entire season was 80, 83, 75, 89, 62, 83. Yeah, I will open the door in a minute. 84, 81, 67, 86, 72. The beast has awoken. The beast approaches. Uh, my own personal thoughts. I, I like Hendon Hooker. I watched him against Alabama. 
Um, now you could say that's unfair. That was his 385 yard, five touchdown, one pick game. But according to PFF, it was his fifth best performance as far as his overall grade. It was his highest passing grade. But I, I just, I mean, was it perfect? No. There were nitpicky things, but I, I really think if, if we correct the nitpicky things, it would have just turned this game from an, a great performance into a flawless performance. I think the anticipation could be a little bit more on point. He kind of wants to wait and see them come open rather than, you know, like with Jordan Love, one of the things I loved is that ball was basically out before he even came out of his break. He just knew that was where it needed to be. Hendon wants to wait and see you make your break and see you get open and then he'll throw it to you. So that that could be tightened up. Uh, He missed a, a handful of throws, but really the throws are all basically on point. He missed a deep pass for a touchdown just a little bit too long. He did underthrow one ball down the left sideline, but the, even the way he handled that in the pocket I thought was really impressive. Uh, his pocket poise I love. He has no fear. Uh, he's not one of those guys that just wants to run all the time. He seems to pick his spots really, really well, and when he makes that decision, it's instant. Um, I like him. I, 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 again, 25 years old, injury issues, and having some stuff to work on. You know, I, I mean, I look at him and say, could this guy be a Jalen Hurts? I don't see why not. But the problem is, if you're talking about sitting this guy for a year and playing him at 26 years old, that that kind of becomes the problem for me. But if we're if we're talking about him as a second round prospect, that's as automatic as it gets for me. In fact, I'd be surprised if a guy like that. I mean, I, again, it, it really depends on on the the concerns that people have in terms of do you think he's going to need some time? Do do you know how concerned are you about his age and and all that stuff? But yeah, I I, I like him. I like Hendon Hooker. All right, next up, Felix, and then they've got it here. It's N-U-D-K, Uzama. N-U-D-K, Uzama. Got it. But uh, edge rusher for the Kansas State Wildcats, 6'3", 255 pounds out of Kansas City, Missouri, 21.2 years old, one of four kids, born and raised Kansas City. Didn't do anything as combine, but at his pro day, uh, he didn't run, but 34-inch vert, 10-4 broad jump, 4-3-4 short shuttle, 6-9-4-3 cone overall. It says, NUDK Uzama has only average get-off and arc speed, but as a rusher and must... Let me try that again. Has only average get-off and arc speed as a rusher and must become more consistent in the run game, but he plays hard and mixes up his rushes to keep his pursuit alive, which is what he does best. He projects as a physical face-up power rusher with the impact potential to compete for an NFL starting role as a rookie. He, by the way, has him... uh, as the seventh best pass rusher, interestingly enough, one spot ahead of Will McDonald. Who are his top edge rushers here? Um, above him is B.J. Ojolari. Above him is Miles, and then you get Miles Murphy and the rest of the crew, I guess, Nolan Smith and whatnot. So there you go. But he has it as Ojolari, then Uzoma, Uzama, then Will McDonald. So uh, PFF for uh, Felix, we'll just call him Felix. Not as excited about him. He's played three years, only two years as a starter. Had an 85 grade in 2021. That went down to a 74 grade. And as far as his consistency, it's kind of terrible. We'll just go through the grades. 92, 64, 70, 63, 78, 68, 60, 82, 75, 60, 56, 59, 54, 63. Um, So basically, it's all like 60s. And then there's one, two, three, four good games and one elite game, and that was against South Dakota. He has 46 pressures on 388 attempts, which is fine, including eight sacks, three of which came against Texas Tech. And I'm always torn on which which games to watch. 
because you know you watch obviously the best game, but that's not really representative. Uh, he's like his his average game, if you had to guess, probably about a sixty four grade. But I also like to see them at their best to kind of see what they can do, I guess. So I will check out Oklahoma State. Second best game, 82.2 grade, 76 run defense, 74 pass rush, 7 pressures, 1 sack. If I'm massively blown away, I'll probably watch another one. If I'm not, I won't. Yeah, so I, I feel like he's sort of a lesser version of Tyree Wilson. It's weird watching him because I feel like I'm watching a defensive tackle. You know, it feels like he needs to be on the inside, but he's 6'3", 255. So he's a powerful guy, but it just doesn't feel much like a pass rusher. Like he's not trying to bend the edge or doing anything like he's constantly just trying to push to the inside. He's pushing, pushing, pushing. Most of his pass rushes are, are like shooting between the tackle and guard and just pushing between them and trying to use enough force to get through it. He's not trying to get around the outside. He's not using speed or any of this. I'm, I'm not seeing like speed to power. He, he plays like a 3-4 defensive end, like a Dean Lowry guy, but he's not. Now they do have a very weird like three-man front. So what they're asking him to do is probably a little bit different. But, I mean, I, I don't dislike him. I just don't exactly know what his role is. Maybe I could see him as a stand-up defensive end or, or outside linebacker for us. But I think it would be a transition, and I think he would be kind of limited in, in the kinds of things he'd be able to do. I think it would fit in terms of sort of like the, you know, the Preston Smith kind of collapse the pocket, push him straight back kind of thing. But the other issue is he wasn't much of a, a, a playmaker. And by that, I mean, there were situations where he would be doing everything sort of right up until the point where you have to make a play. He would be able to push the offensive tackle, not necessarily control him. I don't know if he has short arms or what, but he would very rarely extend his arms to the point where he was controlling the offensive lineman. So he would push him, but then the running back would run right by him. So what's the point of, of you know, dominating the guy if you're not actually making the play? So um, I guess raw prospect and and sort of uh unsure exactly what his role would be and i i do think there would have to be some some training of learning to be an outside linebacker and maybe he could do it and maybe he could dominate it i don't know again he's a powerful dude i just think it would take some time and he's certainly not a ready-made first round prospect i even struggle sort of calling him a second round prospect because it's such a developmental thing in my mind with again i think limited upside and maybe I'm just spoiled as a Packer fan, but I'm expecting second-round picks to just be freaking studs. <laughs> you, you're good year one, you're better year two. And then, uh, you know, we hang your jersey somewhere. Next up on the list, another tough name, uh, Adi Tamiwa. That's, that's how it's... Adi Tamiwa. Adi Barre. Adi Tamiwa Adi Barre. Also known as Tommy, so we're going to call him Tommy. Uh, another edge rusher. This time out of Northwestern, six foot one and a half, two hundred and eighty-two pounds, big old boy, out of Kansas City, Missouri, twenty-two point one years old. Tommy uh, has three younger brothers, Nigerian-born parents. His father is a prince coming from African royalty. Dude, his dad is Eddie Murphy. That's crazy. But uh, let's see, three-star recruit, number seventy-five, strong side defensive end in the twenty nineteen recruiting class. Uh, he's got a younger brother. Adi, high school sophomore, fast track to becoming a top recruit, has a degree in psychology. Overall, Adi uh, Tommy needs to become more consistent in several areas, but has the explosive power in his body with the long arms and natural leverage to be disruptive. An outside rusher in college, he projects best inside as a three technique in the NFL. Second, third round grade, number 68 overall. Um, as far as PFF, 
four years at Northwestern. First year, he played about a half a season, but his grades are pretty consistent. 68, 60, 71, 75. Uh, run defense grade, 66, 65, 64, 70. Pass rush, 66, 57, and then 78, 80. So it's really the pass rush that has kind of exploded the last couple of years. Fairly consistent, but not necessarily in a good way. Um, mid 60s to low 70s pretty much everywhere with the exception of a bad game against Iowa and a good game against Maryland otherwise it's 60s 70s 31 pressures 305 attempts which is minimally exciting six sacks only two games I have access to or two of his not super great games uh Wisconsin and Ohio State his third and fourth worst games but Ohio State he at least had four pressures so I will watch that game by the way, I'm just noticing he ran a 4.49 at 282 pounds. <laughs> okay. So I'm just a couple plays in, but holy crap. <laughs> uh, okay, anyways. All right, so yeah, this uh, mark this down as another one of my dudes for sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a perfect prospect like nobody is. But a guy that is this size that can move the way that he can move is unbelievable. I mean, he's 282 pounds. I, as I said, he, he's probably going to be inside. I mean, I think that's a waste of his talent. Not to say you shouldn't do it sometime, but I genuinely think you could stand him up outside and he can rush off the edge. I think he has the potential to be like a Zadarius Smith. But here's the crazy part. Zadarius Smith is 6'4", 272, and ran a 483. This guy is 6'2", 282 pounds, runs a 449. 10 pounds heavier and runs four tenths of a second faster, three and a half tenths, whatever, 35 hundredths. Is he going to come in year one and just tear it up? Probably not, but I like him. I like him a lot. Anyways, next up on the list, Mr. Trenton Simpson. Um, he's actually number two on the list of linebackers here. Linebacker out of Clemson, six foot two, 235 pounds out of Charlotte, North Carolina, 21.8 years old. Um, uh, father is a U.S. Army guy, military family, moving around to different bases, that whole thing. Five-star recruit, number one outside linebacker in the 2020 recruiting class. Overall, Simpson must continue developing his play recognition to translate his immense talent into playmaking production. But he is an active ball hunter with a pursuit speed and appetite for contact. Oh, I'm going to like this guy. He projects best in a fast-flowing defense where he can be a hit-and-run backer and handle overhang responsibilities. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what Joe Barry wants, even though that's exactly what I want. Uh, grade first, second round, number 38 overall. PFF, not nearly as impressed. Three years at Clemson. Uh, 59, 73, 68 are his overall, overall grades. Run defense, we'll just do this year. Run defense, 70. Tackling, 72. Pass rush, 66. Coverage, 63. Um, as far as consistency, I mean, it's, it's hard to say it's inconsistent because he only had a 68 grade, so it's pretty consistent with that. Um, but you know, it's not what you want. 70, 60, 50, 70, 60, 70, 50, 50, 50, 70, 40, 60. You know, it's kind of, eh. I, I think it's easy to see why you would like Trenton Simpson. He fits the mold of a modern linebacker. Um, four, four, three speed at 235. He flies around, certainly has the potential to be a good coverage linebacker. And, and yeah, if, if you can get him to be that guy that flows, you know, you, you, you try to set it up so that nobody really gets their hand on him and he can just fly to the ball carrier and take him down and all that. I, I think he could be fantastic. I just don't see us utilizing this. I watch we use linebackers that kind of just stand there and react and make 
you know, they're bigger, solid tackling linebackers, and their job is to be responsible for multiple gaps and all this stuff. So it just, you know, I don't think it's going to work out. If we get him, we get him. But I like him. Don't love him. He's fine. Solid 6.8, 7-ish. You know, that he has the same issues as a lot of guys that are a little bit undersized. He's not really going to, you know, take on an offensive lineman and destroy him. But most guys don't do that anyways. Next is center John Michael Schmitz. In- interestingly enough, and I haven't seen this before, but um, Dane Brugler actually has Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin as the number one center, not John Michael Schmitz. I just kind of thought that this was a known thing. But uh, center out of Minnesota, six foot three and a half, three hundred and one pounds out of Flossmoor, Illinois. He is twenty-four years old, one of four kids, hockey player, grew up in the south side of Chicago. Three-star recruits, number 16 center in the 2017 recruiting class. Overall, Schmitz must do a better job keeping his feet, hands, and eyes on the same page, but he has the play strength and finishing attitude to execute at an NFL level. With improved consistency, he can be a functional pro starter. Second to third round, number 59 overall. PFF really likes the guy. Um, Again, he is a little bit up in age at 24 years old, but uh, his PFF grades have been solid and just continued upward. He didn't really play in 2018, just 17 snaps, but 74 grade. But since then, 85, 83, 88, and then 92 this year, a 92.4 run blocking grade and 81 pass blocking grade. Better run blocker than pass blocker via PFF. He gave up two sacks, a hit, and five hurries for eight total pressures this year. He has only ever played center. So that's he is a pure as the driven snow center. Don't have anything for 2022 Minnesota offensive line. But as always, there's an Ohio State game to watch. So I think with John Michael Schmitz, the only issue is that because it's Minnesota and it's kind of Big Ten football, you you don't see a lot. I like what I see. He's a strong man, and he pretty dominant. Was pretty dominant with this Ohio State front. Very rarely losing any ground, putting guys on their backs. But the one time I really saw him move, as in get lateral, is the one time I saw him give up a tackle in the backfield because he ended up on the ground. I also didn't really get to see him get up to the next level and all those kinds of things. It's not a negative. It's just a question mark. You know, it's like a guy with a limited route tree. Well, it doesn't mean he can't do it. He just wasn't asked to do it. The question is, can he? If he can, he's going to be phenomenal. If he can't, he's going to be limited. So I think from what I've seen, I like, but there's too many question marks and he's 24 years old. If we end up drafting the guy, it's because the Packers clearly have seen those things and are content with what they've seen. But um, that would be my thing. The biggest thing is 24 years old. But if dude can play, then dude can play, and I, I don't have an issue with it. Next up, we got tight end Luke Musgrave. He has him at number three behind uh, Michael Mayer, number one, Dalton Kincaid, number two, then Mr. Lucas Musgrave. Tight end Oregon State, six foot five and a half, call it six, well, six foot six, 253 out of Bend, Oregon, 22.6 years old. I guess he's a big skier. He won uh, championships with that or something. I don't know. I don't know what all this stuff means. Super G, slalom, giant slalom, whatever. Football, lacrosse, track, did a lot of stuff. Three-star recruit, number 37 tight end in the 2019 recruiting class, number five recruit in Oregon. Overall, Musgrave must continue to build up his football resume and overall consistency, but he is a high-level athlete with a route running and blocking talent to be a productive starting combo tight end in the NFL. He should be the first ever Oregon State tight end drafted in the top 100 picks. Uh, grade first, second round, number 29 overall. That's really, really high. I'm surprised by that. Um, PFF, well, since I'm on run blocking, might as well look at it. He has terrible run blocking grades. Uh, in the three years that he actually did something, 52, 55, 54. 
Look at blocking overall, pass blocking, um, not including year one, 53, 65, 45. And then if we look at his overall grades, 56, 60, and 72, receiving grades 58, 63, 79. So um, yeah, his receiving grade kind of popped off a little bit this year, but it looks like he played two games this year. He missed the final 11 games with a left knee injury. So really his two years that he played how much did he even play in 2021? Was it a full season? I guess it was. So he played in 2020 and 2021, and his grades were 56 and a 60, receiving grades 58 and 63. I, I can't count two games as a large enough sample size to even consider the 79 grade. So PFF really doesn't like him. I know from the little bit I've watched, I don't care for him. I will pick one more game here and give it a second look. No, he's not on here, so I'm not even going to bother. I, I just, I didn't really necessarily love anything about him from what I saw, and I'm going to just sort of stand by that. I mean, he's six foot six, two fifty three, ran a four six one, which I think is slower than I was expecting, like a lot slower. Isn't he the speed guy, or am I mistaken about that? Thought he was the really fast guy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with four six one speed, but it's not you know blazing fast speed or anything. So I'm, I'm just going to stand by my previous assessment and say I'm just not a big Lucas Musgrave fan. Next up, we get to B.J. Ojolari, edge rusher out of LSU, the number six edge rusher for um, the Beast. Interestingly enough, his name is Jamiu Bolaji, so it's actually J.B., but they call him B.J. B.J. maybe is from Bolaji. I don't know. Third of four kids, born in the Atlanta area to, again, Nigerian parents. Although I think we know his brother, don't we? I know there's already an Ojolari out there. I'm sure it's in here somewhere, but I'm not going to uh, find it. Six foot two, 248 pounds out of Marietta, Georgia, 21.0 years old. His maternal grandfather, Prince Twins 77, who passed away from a stroke in 2011, was a Nigerian prince, descendant of the Ibadan king, and traveled the world as an accomplished African artist. BJ's mother, Bolani 77, and father, Mansuru Ojolari, both were born in Ibadan, the third largest city in Nigeria, but didn't meet until 1996 in Philadelphia. That's hilarious. So cool to see where some of these guys came from. It's a lot of cool stories here. Yeah, his brother, Aziz Ojolari, pass rusher at Georgia. That's what I thought. Drafted in the second round, number 50 overall by the Giants. Anyways, uh, let's see. Let's get to the overall. Ojolari doesn't have ideal size for every scheme, but he offers a dynamic, dynamic pursuit package with his explosive traits and unrelenting effort. He offers scheme versatility as an NFL starter, projecting best as a stand-up edge rusher for an odd front defense. Uh, looking at PFF, three years at LSU. Uh, first year was kind of a half, probably a backup or whatever, but still 314 snaps. But 73, 73, 76, very consistent. His run defense, also consistent, 68, 69, and 70. Pass rush, 73, 69, and 83, so he kind of exploded. Um, he had 49 pressures on 329 attempts and 9 sacks, which is pretty solid. Uh, fairly consistent with his grades, usually high 60s, low 70s, pretty much every single time. He had one bad game against Texas A&M at 53. One really good game against Mississippi State, 83.6 grade. Otherwise, again, right in that 60-70 range. By the way, he didn't do any uh, running or anything. He's apparently had some hamstring issues. But he did do his uh, vert, broad, three-cone, and uh, bench press. 33.5 vert, 10-6 broad jump. Exactly identical to his combine, by the way. Then at the pro day, 7-5-7, three-cone, 24 reps on the bench. So my thoughts on B.J. Ojolari are that he is the most vanilla 
player you'll find, and that's not a, necessarily a bad thing. It's kind of how I felt about uh, the the last linebacker. He's perfectly fine, perfect fit for a three four outside linebacker, six two, two hundred fifty pounds, a little bit on the lighter side, but still within that sort of normal threat. You know, not not a red flag kind of a weight. Uh, I do like how he uses his his arms to uh, engage the offensive linemen and keep them off of him. Something that I have been seeing a lot of guys struggle with in this class for some reason. But really does control the offensive lineman. I think he does a good job of pushing these guys and helping in the run game and that kind of stuff. But just nothing necessarily special. There was no moment where my jaw hit the floor. No, I mean, he can bend. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got everything, but everything's at like a 7. Just a consistent, you know, if he's PFF at 70, 70, 70 across the board, like he's, he's solid. He's not elite. He's not top tier. I do have a concern that what happens when he goes into the NFL. If everything takes a step backwards, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's he kind of reminds me of like a Brian Burns, just not as good, you know? If I had to compare him to somebody, I, I'm, I'm bad with comps because I don't watch as many guys as, as a lot of other people. But, you know, just kind of a, a average build. And, you know, again, he just does everything fine. So I don't have an issue with B.J. Ojolari, but I'm not blown away by B.J. Ojolari. Um, all right. Yeah, we're... we're Cruising along here. Let's do Steve Avila. Excuse me, that is uh, Esteban Avila. It's kind of a dope name, Esteban, but he wants to be known as Steve, I guess. So it's Steve Avila. Six foot three and a half, 332 pound left guard out of Arlington, Texas. Plays for TCU, 23 and a half years old. Overall, Avila needs to better understand his biomechanics to access his explosive power, but he plays with a strong base to anchor and control at either guard or center. He fits both zone and gap schemes and could be an immediate starter as an NFL rookie, so I have already watched him, uh, and I tend to agree. There, there are times when it doesn't seem like he's really getting all the power that could certainly be there because he's a massive human being. I do like him. Uh, my, my biggest concern, and I think that it's the reason why we wouldn't end up drafting him, is Although he moves a ton, I mean, he is constantly pulling, and there doesn't seem to be that big of an issue with him being able to do it. He moves pretty fluidly. I still think at 332 pounds, he's not able to move to the level that the Packers would like him to be able to move. I did see a couple examples of that with them really trying to get him to reach, for example, linebackers who are kind of flying. He was nowhere close to being able to reach the linebackers. Now, granted, our guys generally can't do it either because it's a really tough thing to do, but I just don't think that's where... I don't think that's where the NFL is headed, and I also don't think that's where the Packers want to go. Uh, it's not to say it's an impossibility. I think Sean Ryan could potentially fall into that category, although I don't think he's 332 pounds. But still, I just I, I, I generally like him because I like these big mauling offensive linemen, but I just don't think that that's going to be the guy. As far as PFF, four years at TCU, but first one didn't really count. 75, 81, 70 are his grades. Run blocking, 76, 81, then 66. Pass blocking, 68, 75, 83. So... Uh, the run blocking took a big dip this year. I don't really know why, if they changed their scheme or some kind of a setup or something. Pass blocking continually got better every year. But this year, his run blocking grades were actually pretty terrible. He had a 78 grade against Texas Tech, an 84 against Tarleton. But then um, his next highest grade was a 67. Pass blocking was really consistently solid all the way through. Only had one bad game against Texas Tech, so one of his only good run blocking games. Um, zero sacks, two hits, nine hurries. But I mean, especially a guy that's that size. I just I don't know. So I like him, but I think he's got some limitations that um, are going to be hard to overcome. 
And finally, we'll get all of them packed in here. We got Keon White, edge rusher. He is listed as number nine edge rusher on this big board. So there, there's a lot of depth here. They're not necessarily my favorite as far as top end. Uh, as you know, Will McDonald is my dude, although he's undersized. But we got nine of them in the top 50, so that's that's a good uh, good chunk. But uh, Georgia Tech edge rusher, six foot five ish, six foot four point seven. 285 pounds out of Gardner, North Carolina, 24.2 years old, a little bit older, pronounced Keon, that's pretty straightforward. One of three kids, grew up in the Raleigh area, started playing football at age five, also played basketball. He was a two-star recruit, number 141 tight end in the 2017 recruiting class, that's interesting. So uh, Edge is relatively new to him. He didn't transition to Edge until 2019 at Old Dominion. Uh, his mom, Sharice Williams, played college basketball at St. Augustine, so he does have that bloodline stuff going on. Four seven six forty time uh, that he did at his pro day: thirty-four inch vert, nine foot nine inch broad jump, thirty reps on the bench. So just a big, strong dude. Overall, White is still developing his craft and pass rushing technique and instincts, but he has a high motor, height, weight, speed edge player with power as a bull rusher and the mass to anchor versus the run, similar to Dayton Jones. Oh, good lord. I'm not watching. We're we're done. Sorry. <laughs> Similar to Dayton Jones, he is a scheme-proof prospect and projects as a rotational base end as an NFL rookie. And I will say, I've I've used the Dayton um, comp already for these kinds of guys. That I generally don't care for these six foot five, two hundred eighty-five pound guys, where it's like they're too big to be edge rushers, but they're not big enough to be defensive tackles. Generally speaking, but whatever. Um, Keon White in 2019 at Old Dominion had an 85 grade, 87.8 run defense, 83.7 pass rush. Again, that was his first year ever as an edge rusher. He'd been a tight end. Then he goes to Georgia Tech. Didn't play a ton, so I'm not even going to count that. Second year at Georgia Tech as a full, full-ish time starter. Uh, 72.6 grade, 78.7 run defense, 75.8 pass rush, 37.2 coverage, but I kind of don't super care about that. Um, as far as consistency, I would say it's a little bit low. That 72 grade is um, his fourth best game was a 72. Everything else was 60s until you get to the bottom three, 55, 53, 49. So um, he's more of like a 60s kind of a guy with a couple big games and a couple bad games mixed in. Yeah, so Keon White is, is a tough one because, again, he's he's relatively new to this. So you're looking at his tools and you're trying to decide. I mean, this is a big dude. He's got some power. He, it's surprising speed. What what did it? Didn't he? Uh, yeah, 476, which is not terrible. I mean, now that we got freaking pass rushers running in the 4-4s. But, you know, for being almost 290 pounds. But, again, I'm still stuck on a lot of this is projection. He's already 24 years old. He's a tweener, right? Are you actually going to put him... You know, I mean, Dean Lowry was, what, 290? So so are we going to call this guy an interior defensive tackle, or are we going to line him up on the edge or kind of mix it up? Or It just, it's just, it, it, it's easy to like the pick if we pick him just from a standpoint of this guy has a lot of upside. Would I want to pick him? Probably not. There's just too many giant question marks that are scary. So anyways, we made it. Why don't we just go ahead and take a quick break? Please check out some of the t-shirts. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support for as little as a dollar a month. Please check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry at FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. 
Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So as usual, there's way too much to cover, but I'm, I, I wanted to talk about this briefly because uh, talking to Taylor Kendrick on uh, the Twitters, he brought this to my attention. Peter Schrager put a list up. It says, the if you know, you know list. After speaking with GMs around the league, here's my five prospects who will go higher than they currently are being placed in mock drafts. Ed Rusher, Nolan Smith, uh, defensive tackle Kalijah Kansi, cornerback Tyreek Stevenson, cornerback Christian Gonzalez, and cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. So Taylor is concerned that uh, Tyreek Stevenson is going to be the guy. I haven't even seen him yet. But it got me thinking, I want to look at some of the guys who are climbing up the boards here. Um, where even is he on here? Cornerback? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm seeing all these corners. He's not even on. Are we talking like, there he is, 72 right now. Let's see if he's moving up. He's not. He's actually kind of going down. As far as the consensus board, this is two separate things as far as um, what GMs think and what uh, everybody else thinks. But Stevenson, um, let's see, where was he? He was at 51 at one point, and he's right now at 72. But I found a couple guys that are seemingly moving up the boards that could potentially be... By the way, I'm bringing this up because this is a common pattern among the Packers. They draft somebody that nobody expects, and then everybody kind of says, oh, shoot, we probably should have seen that coming because they've been kind of rising up the boards for a little while. Um, but I've got four, and I'm somewhat excited about it. The, the first two, not as much. But Kalijah Kansi is on that list. Um, so he had a, a massive burst. Let's see, February 15th, he was 57th, and then he shot straight up to about 25th, and there's a slow climb. You got up to 24th and held there for a while, then 22nd, 
and then 20th, where he's holding strong at 20th. So Kalijah Kansi is certainly moving up the boards. I am personally not the biggest Kalijah Kansi fan. I think he's a pure pass rusher, a smaller guy, and I generally don't like the pure pass rushing defensive tackles. I think they always get compared to uh, Aaron Donald, and none of them are even close to Aaron Donald or even slightly productive. Then is cornerback Deontay Banks. Not a massive rise whatsoever. I mean, his massive rise went from January to uh, February. And usually these big bursts are just when people discover that they even exist and start putting them into mock drafts. But he was at 44. Then he got a bump up to about 32 and sat there for a while. Then around early March, he went to 24. And at this point, he's sitting at 23. So it's a very slow but gradual move up the boards. Uh, The other is probably my favorite pass rusher in this class. Um, he was, this is Will McDonald, the fourth, he was sitting at 62 back in, uh, February 15th. He made it up to, uh, in the top 50 at 49 around early March. Then, uh, he kind of got a big boost up to 32nd and that's, and now he's sitting at 31. So he did crack the first round and he is continually climbing into the first round. Um, it's gradual, but it's still, I mean, he was at, uh, 41 at the end of March. So we're talking two weeks ago, he was at 41. He's sitting at 31 right now. So we'll see what happens. Keep an eye on Mr. Will McDonald, the fourth. And then uh, the guy who will forever be known as Tommy, forgot how to say his name, Adetamiwa, Adibawarie, I don't know. I forget. I don't know. I literally just read his name to you 17 seconds ago. But, um, he actually was sitting around that February 15th mark again, around 91. He took a dip down into the hundreds and then shot back up to about 63 and right now is sitting at 42. So he's got a ways to go if he's ever going to crack, you know, first round or whatever. But another guy that I do really like and um, he's pretty much flatlined, so I don't know that he ever gets into the first round, but he is kind of in that... Um, early second round realm. So those are the four guys that I saw that seem to be climbing quite a bit. Um, several others are absolutely plummeting. But nothing really stands out a ton. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it and see if anyone's flying up. I mean, Hendon Hooker's moving pretty quick. Um, I see Emmanuel Forbes has moved up a couple, cornerback out of Mississippi State. Darnell Wright is moving up, but not... I mean, he moved up three spots recently, but he's mostly not really been moving a ton. But We'll keep an eye on it and see if that continues. Then he's kind of getting into that realm. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily sneak up on us. I mean, Darnell Wright has been um, kind of seen as a Packers guy for a while. And Michael Mayer, who I really like, is actually, he went went down three spots. A lot of these guys are. Um, Jalen Hyatt is beyond plummeting. Even Bijan is down two spots now. Um, I've got a series of clips here that I wanted to play. Um, see if I can remember where this one is. So I think I got this queued up at the right spot. This is um, Charles Robinson talking to Wildy and Tausch. Um, the Packers are holding out for what they want right now, and that's a problem, I think, with the Jets, and more specifically, I think, with Jets ownership. And basically, not basically, so where it is, Green Bay is uh, stuck on an asking price of a two this year, a straight shot one next year, so no graduation schedule attached to it, and they would be willing to do the 2025, uh, some sort of a draft uh, asset give back if for some reason Aaron Rodgers doesn't play in 2024. And 
the Jets and Woody Johnson specifically, um, not not going to, they're just not going to do it. And that's why this is sort of sitting where it is. And I guess you could say that the quote unquote ball, if we're going to, we're going to do that whole thing, whose court is the ball in? I guess it's in the Jets court, but the problem with that is that for the Jets, it's a standstill. When the owner says, no, we're not doing the straight shot one. And I think what um, Woody Johnson's problem is with this is that he looks at Denver, all the assets that Denver gave up, you know, thinking that they're going to bring Russell Wilson and it's going to turn a key and everything's going to go great. And now Seattle's sitting on Denver's pick at number five because it just crashed and burned. I think um, there's also some of the Matt Stafford thing. Hey, now, you know, got the, the bulky elbow and everything fell apart for the Rams and suddenly Detroit's sitting on six. And so I think Woody Johnson says, look, um, we're willing to do something with a second round pick next year. So it'd be two twos. Um, but there's gotta be some element of graduation that, that is attached to it. So, and I, Wait, I think Charles, Charles, Charles let, let me interrupt you just briefly. Uh, and I hate to do this because I get interrupted all the time on this show. What? But, but, <laughs> but it has felt like that part of the Packers strategy has been, Oh, well, Woody Johnson, you know, a 75-year-old, slightly flaky owner is going to get impatient and just say, just give him the one and be done with it. You're actually saying that he's not on board with giving up the one. Like, it, it, yeah. that, that, that's, that's significant when I hear you say yeah. that, is it not? Yeah, it's not, it's not the, um, and even early on, I, I think I had it in reverse where I thought Woody's the one pushing here. That's not the case. Um, it's not. It's not just being left up to the general managers here. And and as a matter of fact, I think in a way this is sort of where the the Packers are a little bit of a disadvantage because I I, I tend to think when high level talks like this get to this kind of a standstill, you get two owners who just talk to each other. Let's work this out. Let's figure it out. And the thing is, Woody doesn't have an owner to call and be like, okay, you know, here's what my stance is. Here's what your stance is we got to kick it upstairs from, from the GM perspective. And, um, yeah, so that's where, I, I mean, I don't know if Woody and Mark Murphy can have a conversation. Um, I don't think Woody and, and you know, Goody are going to have a conversation. I can, I can put it to you like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this is what happened was, you know, they had sort of trade parameters worked out. And then when Aaron went on Pat McAfee and said that I'm 90% retired, I was 90% retired when I went into the darkness retreat, I think it scared Woody. You know, I think that was one of those things that scared him. And then from the broader perspective, he continues to look at these other teams that made big moves and were promised things by their general managers. Um, hey, this is going to put us over the top. We're going to be in contention immediately as soon as, you know. All right, so you get the point. Um Couple questions. Number one is uh, how much of this does he actually know, right? Because, for example, he said, "I think." Toward the end, he's. I think when Rogers came out and said ninety percent that it scared Woody, so he doesn't know. If he did, he wouldn't say I think. But he's speaking with a level of authority as, as though he knows something, or at least he thinks he knows something. There's a lot of people who think they know something because they heard somebody else that doesn't know say that they heard something, and it becomes this whole thing. So I really don't know how much he actually knows and how much he doesn't. I'll say this, though. It, it always comes down to everybody thinks that these owners are the greatest things. Jets fans will tell you the owner's an idiot. 
if this thing's being held up because the two GMs are getting along just fine, but the owner's blowing this thing up, and it's like, well, it's because the Packers don't have an owner, I'm glad. I don't want an owner going over our GM's head saying, ah, I worked it out, don't worry about it, we got a deal done. No. And by the way, Jets fans do not want their owner figuring this out. They want their GM to figure it out. They trust their GM, and they know that their owner's an idiot. Right? I mean... Maybe not as a as a human being. He started a very successful company, or however he came to... I don't know how that story works out. I don't really care. But it's it's football stuff. Let the GMs work it out. And, and the idea that he wouldn't talk to Goody, like, why not? You ever heard of a conference call? You think that Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst and their whole crew aren't, like, in a room together trying to hash this stuff out? It's It's just kind of this weird... Again, sort of this anti-Packers thing in, in terms of like, well, it's because there's this, there's this backwoods Packers team that doesn't have an owner, so like that's what's holding this whole thing up. No, it's not. So again, I don't know how much of this is, is reality as opposed to speculation, but he certainly seems pretty confident in his assessment of things. Um, also, I, I, I've come to the realization that I think some of this is ridiculous. Like, well, I mean, I want to do it, but now I'm kind of getting nervous. In other words, the GM is setting in motion a plan that I'm sure the owner wanted. I want Aaron Rodgers. Great. So they're trying to work it all out between the two GMs. And then he comes along. He's like, you know, I'm kind of worried because what if he retires? I'm kind of worried because, you know, Stafford is now injured, even though they won a Super Bowl with him. I'm kind of worried because the Russell Wilson thing didn't pan out. Dude, this is how it goes, dude. This is how every free agency thing goes. There's always a possibility of an injury. You can't just say, well, it, it, you know, I, I would love to go get this free agent. I'd love to get o Odell Beckham, which maybe this is why it didn't work. But like, what about that time Odell got hurt? Like, what about his injury? What about, what about, what about? Then you're never going to get anybody. You're going to pay a premium price for an over-the-hill guy with an injury history. We're talking about pretty much any free agent. And that's with the understanding that this may not pan out very well. And if you think I can't find examples of every single position, every single player, these guys not panning out, and people paying a ridiculous sum of money, I mean, the Jets probably lead the league in that. But suddenly it's like, I don't know, man, this, this, there's risk associated, so I don't think we should have to pay. Of course there's freaking risk associated, you idiot. There's always risk. And you're honestly telling me you came into this assuming he'd play two years? Why? Well, he came out and said 90%, so now I'm worried he might not play two years. You thought he was going to play two years? The guy's been threatening retirement for like three years. So I'm not buying it. This is all BS. You're getting cold feet. You need to shut your mouth and let the GMs work it out. That's what you need to do. Why is it at a standstill? Because the owner like, doesn't know what he wants anymore. I, I just don't know if I'm ready for this. Uh, I'm afraid of commitment. No, no, no. We, 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 we're not giving a first. I'll give you a second and next year's second, and then you have to give us a second back. And uh, 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 You know what? If you don't want to do it, then just don't do it. If you're going to get flaky, just man up and say, you know what? This is a bad idea. I don't think we should do this. Because you know what? You're right. You shouldn't have done this. This is stupid. Why are you going in for Aaron Rodgers? You should have just got Carr, but you're an idiot. And now you're realizing you're an idiot, and you're trying to figure out how to backpedal and make it seem like the Packers are the ones who are, like, holding this thing up, and it's not. Freaking jag off. Anyways, it was also this clip that came out. Uh, I don't know who Greeny is, but uh, here you go. Just what Greeny had to say about the situation. Yes, uh, here's what, and, and AJ, obviously, um, I would defer to anything you know, but I can tell you what I've heard. I've heard that Aaron has sent signals to the Jets that there's no reason for them to rush, that he's not coming until May anyway. So it's not they're not missing out on anything right now. So they should hold out as long as it takes and that ultimately 
they won't wind up having to trade the 13th pick in the draft, which is what I think this ultimately comes down to. Again, if, if I'm saying something, AJ, that you think is totally wrong, let me know. AJ. But I think that this is all about the Jets wanting to, to draft an offensive tackle at 13 and Aaron Rodgers wanting them to draft an offensive tackle at 13, which I would want too if I was Aaron Rodgers. And they will just hold out until the draft, and they think the Packers will eventually say, okay, we'll take slightly less than we want because we want pieces to put around or in front of Jordan Love this year, not wait until next year. Another interesting question that will come up, if I may, is I got a bunch of Jet fans telling me that they think that rather than taking an offensive lineman at that point, that the Jets should draft Jackson Smith and Jigba, the spectacular wide receiver coming out of Ohio State, who basically had a, a washout of a year this past year because he was hurt all year, but that if you put him and Garrett Wilson on the field with Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard, that you might actually have the best receiving core in the entire National Football League by halfway through the season. What and Brees Hall. Brees Hall, too. I mean, let's... Galbraded. Um... So it's funny because I had actually mentioned this. I, I talked about it on the podcast, and then I saw this probably like 30 minutes later, um, which means my prob podcast probably came out after this, and everybody thought I ripped it off. But anyways, um, the the idea that perhaps this radio silence is in regards to just taking some of the stuff off the table. Like, we can't decide on this, that, or the other. Well, if it's not on the table, then we don't have to worry about it anymore. And then I even went on to say, watch, they're going to steal Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round, and then they're going to take our tight end in the second round, is what I had said. Now, it sounds like he's more implying that they're going to kind of take 13 off the table and then negotiate with whatever's left, which is twos, right? The Packers are clearly going to have to be more reasonable. But again, the Packers have already said 13 doesn't have to be on the table. So if a deal can be done without 13, we can just do it. But it does make a lot of sense to me that Aaron, you know, again, we're, we're looking at maybe just one year with Rodgers. Why would we throw away picks for this year? Why wouldn't we be more willing to pay next year, even a higher price next year, if it means we can maximize this year? It doesn't make any sense to me to get Aaron Rodgers and spend all this money and then give away 13 and or the two second round picks. You shouldn't do that. But again, what we just heard from Robinson is we'll take one, two, and then a one next year. And according to him, they don't want to do that either. So you're playing hardball, like, well, we'll just take one off the table. It's like, well, there's more than one first-round pick throughout eternity. Like, we'll take next year. Nope, not that either. Okay, well, then we've got a problem. Well, I just need assurances. Okay, we'll, give, we'll, we'll put a give back in there. Nope, we're not giving you a one. Like, <laughs> it, just, it just sounds kind of stupid, but... Last thing I want to end with is this. And, and again, it's been a lot of positive things. I actually uh, posted just today... Um, a clip on Twitter. It's of uh, Matt Hamilton, quarterback coach, FanDuel TV, New Row FB, host of The Breakdown on KC Sports Network, Good Morning Football, NFL Films, Detroit Lions Scout, Mizzou Football. So there you go. That's his credentials. But he went through um, Jordan Love, just a two and a half minute video, but just showing some of the progressions that he's made and why Packers fans should be optimistic about Jordan Love. But the, the point is, this has been constant. And it's kind of shocking because the whole thing I've been saying is like, the guy gets no love and I don't understand this. But all of a sudden, we're starting to see a shift in narrative. And the funny thing is, once this starts happening, it's all just like high school. Like once, once, the, once everybody starts doing it, everybody else needs to start doing it because you don't want to be the one that's not doing the cool thing. So if, if it becomes the cool thing that noticing the growth of Jordan Love then a lot of people are going to do it. Now, there's some people that are just completely biased, right? They've been on the, like, this is stupid, don't do this, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer. You're... So they can't jump ship. 
Well, some of them couldn't care less. They'll, they'll change their opinion on a dime and they don't care. But a lot of them will be dug in. They, they got their pride involved. But, but you're going to start to see a lot of people do this. But we're on uh, KJM, whatever that is, something on ESPN2, I guess, or something. I don't know what this is. But he, he's uh, asking Keyshawn Johnson to do an evaluation of Jordan Love. Can you make an evaluation so far? Can you tell me if he's going to be good or not? From the, from the little bit I've seen of him, yeah, I, could, I think he's going to be all right. I think he's going to be good. I think he'll be an NFL starting quarterback. Not an NFL starting quarterback by default, but an NFL starting quarterback that are going to win games. And I'm not saying he's going to win Super Bowls and MVPs, but I think he's going to be an NFL starting quarterback that they're going to be happy with over the next eight years or so. Why? That's what, I, what have you seen that you can make that assessment? Well, the little bit that I've seen is his ball placement and accuracy um, is there. First of all, yes. And by the way, it's funny because I, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you I don't know anything about scouting, but it is funny when people start coming around to stuff that I've been saying for like a year. Um, that The ball placement and accuracy is something that I was hyping up when he was in college. But, you know, the, the Matt Hamilton video was all about the, um, the ball coming out well before, you know, the timing. And um, that was what I've been talking about, again, for about the last year uh, since that Eagles game. Is, is That was the most impressive thing. The ball is just about out before these guys are even getting in and out of their breaks. So, um, yes, that, that's, that is a big attribute of Jordan Love is ball placement and accuracy. Uh, in rhythm. He's not hesitant. He's calm in the pocket. He's not, you know, you could, the quarterback, you could, I got to get rid of the ball. You know, he's not, everything is smooth. Yep. Uh, everything is aligned perfectly. And, and, and that's, it's funny because I didn't know exactly how to state it as far as what was good about that Eagles game, but this is pretty much what I came to the conclusion. It just worked. It was like a smooth operation. Everything was just calm and in rhythm. The timing, the accuracy, everything was just boom, 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 boom. It was systematic and smooth all the way down the field. When I watch him against, for instance, the Kansas City Chiefs, I watched him throw a corner route. He hit his back foot in rhythm. The receiver gets open. He places it to the sideline right where it should. It wasn't behind the receiver. The receiver wasn't twisting and turning. He was able to catch it, tuck it, and score a touchdown. Make one guy miss. That, to me, is, is a plus. I watched him also uh, on a little stick route, a little, a little spacing stick route. Mm -hmm. I watched him hit him. Boom, right there in the bread basket. You can just tell that he knows how to do everything from a perfect standpoint. Now what he has to do is he now has to start to manipulate the secondary with his eyes. I would have used another word if, if in fact, I wasn't on radio and television, what he needed to do to that particular secondary guy. But he can manipulate him with his eyes. He still got a little bit of, I'm in high school and I'm in college, where he's dropping back and the first thing he's doing is telegraphing his throw because his eyes are going in that direction. When you are manipulating the secondary... You know where you want to go to the right. I already know what's happening on the right-hand side, and that comes with play. But I may be slightly looking to my left to get you to move over just enough, and then bang, I'm right back to the right. That will come with time, and you can tell he's able to do that. Now, again, ball placement is important because I have a huge catch radius. I don't need to be twisted and turning. I need catch-friendly footballs. I need balls that I can catch with my hands, I can tuck, 
and get yak yardage. And so far, he's been able to show that. Now, So we'll leave it at that. that. That's largely his assessment. And again, here are some areas he can grow. Interestingly enough, on that Matt Hamilton thing, he showed one of the throws, and he did show that his body and his eyes were pointed one way and the ball went another way. So... And, and again, these are all, like he said, things that come with time. And he's right. A lot of those times when they're coming out of their breaks, he's staring at them. But he knows. He knows based on the defense and where these guys are that, you know, it's zone. There's the hole in the zone. I'm going to wait for you to kind of come out of your break and boom, right? Adding little things every single year in terms of where your eyes go and all this kinds of stuff. These are, it's kind of like on, uh, well, it was the podcast today, wasn't it? We talked about Hendon Hooker. I liked what I saw from Hendon Hooker. There are things that can be added onto this, but what we're talking about is taking a great game and making a per- it into a perfect game. And that's kind of where we are with Jordan Love, right? It's he's doing everything right. And he's I, here here's the most important thing. He's demonstrated to me that he can do everything and do it at a high level. But again, for me it just comes down to consistency and then there is another level of that sort of elite quarterback play, and that comes down to consistency too because everybody makes that that, you know, only my quarterback can do that, and then every single fan base shows their quarterback doing that exact same thing. Everybody can do those elite things, the no-look, the throw-on-the-run, all that stuff, and we know Jordan can do that, but there's just those extra elements. There's still sort of a baseline for me in terms of he's demonstrated he can do all this stuff, but we got to see how much he can do as far as consistency throughout an entire game. You know, I mean, one of the problems I have with Jordan is, you know, he would look awesome all the way down the field, beautiful throw, great read, da 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 and then he would throw a pick in the end zone. The whole thing gets scrapped at that point. It was a garbage drive. You ru- you ruined the whole drive. That's why consistency is so important. And again, that's that's what I said about Mitch Trubisky. He was the same way. He he looked beautiful, like just all the way down the field, great throw, da, 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 and then he throw a pick right down inside the ten yard line. Like, well, you're an idiot. This is why you're Mitch Trubisky and not freaking Aaron Rodgers. But it is just good to see the growth. It is good to see that you know he's doing some really good things. Right there, there is a high ceiling with Jordan Love, especially considering the comps that he had and the fact that he sat behind Aaron Rodgers for three years and all that kind of stuff. And there's sort of, you know, some boxes that you'd say, okay, well, if he is this, he should be able to do that, 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 that. And you look and he's doing those things. So now we just got to let him play and see like how many more boxes is he going to check? There's a lot of boxes left. There's a lot of unknowns, but it just, it feels good to hear other people reinforce what you're seeing about Jordan Love, even in a small sample size. And it's also great just because it's a counter narrative. With the whole narrative has been he's bad and everybody can see it, right? We've we've seen enough. We know he's bad. He's he's not gonna be able to do it. Blah 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 blah. But from what I've seen, every single commentary that is legitimate, not that they're all necessarily have to be right, but I I have not seen a single person do a breakdown of Jordan Love over the last year and say I don't think he's got it. Who was the 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 coach? Mike Martz. From what I've seen of this kid, I'd hang on to him. I bet the ranch on this guy. He said. This is the guy who spent a year ago talking about how trash Trey Lance and Justin Fields are, saying he'd bet the ranch on Jordan Love. He says, whatever you got to do to keep him, invest three years in him, the same system, I think you hung on to him, do whatever you can, whether it's another year or two down the road, I think he'll end up being a heck of a player for them. This is what it's been. Here's your final quote, and then we'll end it. He says, just watching him, I've never been, since, I've never been so shocked or taken by a guy at first glance. You can make fun of Mike Martz all you want. This guy is a incredible. He, he's got a heck of a resume. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Doesn't mean he's right, but this seems to be the consensus by people that know a lot more than I do. So anyways, we'll leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.